When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wherever you go, whatever you do, stop. I will you want people to listen right to this? here waiting for you. Serious, stop. Whatever it takes, stop. Or how my heart breaks, stop. I will be right here waiting for Charles Barkley. That song well, I didn't really like. Who sang it for real? Brian that was, Adams? Uh, no, no, no. That was. Um, Waits, wasn't it a Waits? Like a Richard Marks. Richard Marks. Thank you, Sim. Thank you, Sim. Richard Marks. I yeah. didn't like it when Richard Marks sang it, and I sure as hell don't like it when you sing it. And we're trying to get listeners. We're still growing, and we're trying. I don't. I know, to... but it's 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 um, it's it, it actually connects with daddy issues because that song reminds me of my dad. <laughs> like for real, does it? Yeah, it does. I. I don't know if I heard it with him or just the lyrics, the, the lyrics themselves. It's, I'm, I'll, I'll be right here waiting for you. Like, Dad, where are you? Type shit. I, I don't know, but it brought, reminds me of my father. But that's oh. not why I sang it. I was trying to sort of segue into. I'm. We're waiting for Charles Barkley to come on the line here, and I was using that song, you know, to to get that point across. That's and to and and then it got deep. And then it got emotional, and it got deep, and now I'm talking about my dad again, and I don't know, you know, it's just like, it's hard, I know, man. it's yeah. okay, it's, you're gonna be okay, just lay down and put a cold compress on your forehead, you'll be good, <laughs> I, I, uh, I know one thing about you, and that is that when Charles Barkley is on this call, you mm-hmm. will at some point work him for... Nike shoes, <laughs> without a doubt. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about that. I'm no joke, but I don't know. I, I, I have to find an angle. I have to find an angle. I just don't I understand what the deal is. It's like it's. I what love is shoes. It with, with... I love sneakers. What's I mean? Yeah. They're they're cool. They're they make me feel good. You know, I the way I dress now is from 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 bottom up so i'll pick my shoe whatever sneaker i'm gonna be wearing and then i move to the sock then the pant then the undies because i wear my underwear over my pants and then a shirt (laughs) you know i I worked from the bottom up it's so funny because knowing you for the years that i've known you i would say you spend about no time on wardrobe you i don't think you could care less about what you're wearing I get the shoes I part, don't. but the rest of it, you look, well, most of the time, you look disheveled and dirty. <laughs> Things have changed, <laughs> Joe. I haven't seen you in person in a minute. I'm, I'm, I've got a whole new style now, you know. I'm, 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 I'm shifting. I'm changing. I'm finally maturing, really, becoming a man. So. At the age of 43, you finally have, have started yeah. to plan out your looks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you trying to match your clothing to whatever colors are in the shoes? 
Are you in yeah. like a boy band or what is that? I don't. I no, just don't know no. anybody that's forty three that does that. Oh, whoever listens to this, leave comments about your sneaker game. I guarantee we get a lot of people who love the sneaker game. So if you have sneakers mm-hmm. that have green and yellow in them, yeah, you're wearing like green Ducks. and yellow. Yeah, yeah. Are you wearing green and yellow in your clothing? <laughs> Uh, not necessarily. Sometimes that like pop on the foot, boom. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, everything looks normal. Then, ba-bow! Like the foot Ugh. just explodes, and people are like, oh wow, look at those kicks. Those are awesome shoes. Yeah, I just I just I, posted something right now. If you look on your Instagram, you'll see the new I got the shoes Instagram. that I was wearing today. Oh really? Got, Why? I'm not on Instagram anymore. I just I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I have a publicist. Why? I can push stuff to publicists to put stuff out on Instagram and and maybe I'll dip my toe into the Twitter water every once in a while, but really kind of sick of that too. I don't know. I yeah, find myself I mean, just, on my phone too much. I get I awful looks from my wife. I'm checked out mm-hmm. with my boys if I'm on my phone looking at Twitter. So yeah, why not just take it holes. off my phone? I, it's just stupid. Nah. No, I know. I know. I get it. I, people get the, in those like Instagram holes. Instead of a K hole, you're in like an eye hole. You know yeah. I mean? They just yeah. go, you get so deep. I don't really p- spend a lot of time on Instagram. I, I went off it for a long time and now I'm back in just a little bit, pretty much for my sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a way <laughs> for to you? promote daddy issues, by the way? Come yeah, on. Yeah, and, and I'm promoting on Instagram. I just am not on there like checking everybody's oh, stupid I don't, duck uh, lips pictures out. And, yeah, I don't I don't do the feeds much. Filtered crap and hashtag no filter and all that <laughs> stupid stuff. I, I just I don't care. I know I got hashtag, enough stuff. Hashtag no filter was a long time ago. So you've been off for maybe two years, I guess. <laughs> no. You're, been you're, off for like two weeks. I, I know. I know that yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you that you're you're you that you're concentrating more on your family than you are on social media. I think that's important, Joe. I think it's very yeah. important. I just I don't I just don't know what the the plus is if you just sit on that all day. I mean, I'm not a Kardashian. I'm not 21. I, why am I looking at pictures that I don't care about? <laughs> why do I care? You've gotten in the last couple of weeks. You've gotten. A little older and like curmudgeonly, you're, you're just a little bit more. Just I don't know what's going on with you, dude. You know our text exchanges have been a little fiery. You're just like you're just cranky. You're like a cranky old man all of a sudden. What's happening? I, you're just gonna have to. You're gonna have to weather that storm. I'll come back around. I'm cranky. I'm tired. That's it. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't have it. I don't have any energy. I don't have any juice. That's why I'm glad we got Barkley coming on. I know, Because I could listen to him talk about anything. I love Charles, man. And we, we've known him for a minute. Um, at We play golf at the American Century in Tahoe. And, and he just holds court there. And, and he's just, uh, he's the most fair, you know, just sweet man that I, that I know. He's just a good hearted person i can't wait to hear about his story and he likes to have fun and he likes to include people in on that fun mm-hmm. and 
I'm excited to talk to him. Yeah. So oh, let's go. Where there the he is. What timing, Joe? You're God. If you may be cranky, but you got timing. There's Chuck right now. <laughs> hey, Chuck. What up, brothers? Oh, sure. <laughs> What's up, Oliver? What's up, man? How are you? Bored as fuck. <laughs> Why do you think we're doing this podcast, man? <laughs> this isn't for. This is to get rid of some boredom. I've been stuck, I've been stuck on the fucking couch since fucking March. Oh God. Yeah, it but are sucks. you are you getting out and about though, at least safely or no? Well, everything's still closed. I mean, yeah, that's but- the problem. Yeah, everything's still closed. I'm actually I live in Philadelphia during the summer. Mm-hmm. I've been here like three days. And everything's fucking closed. I'm going back to Arizona in the next couple of days because at least I can play golf every day and I got a gym at my house. I know, but what about American Century? You going to go? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely doing that. That's uh, two weeks. Actually, two weeks from today. That's right. That's yeah, right. but just know this, Charles. The only reason why Oliver asked that is because he's bitter that two of the three of the people on this call are going to the American Century uh, tournament and I, and the I don't know what happened, man. I don't know what happened. I got invited every single year as one of the sort of few actors, and then all of a sudden, I don't know, man. I don't know if I missed too many of those Wednesday meetings or something, but I got booted. <laughs> no, you know what happened? And that's actually been a big deal because there's guys who've been going to the tournament for like 25 years. Mm-hmm. Everybody started coming, so they just fucking like cutting people. And a yeah. lot of the guys are bitter because a lot of guys went like the first 25 years and they can't get invited back anymore. I know. Yeah. I know. Whatever. Maybe it's, it's just surprised. a reflection, I'm surprised on, a reflection on your career. In guys this year. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe I gotta. I have to do something bigger and better in my life. I, who yeah, knows? I mean, if you were in Titanic, you'd be going every year. <laughs> if I was in Titanic, I wouldn't. You wouldn't be doing hey, this podcast. Titanic, hey, hey, Buck. If he was in Titanic, he wouldn't be fucking hanging out with us. That's there is <laughs> That's no right. doubt about that. <laughs> not, uh, a, not a chance. Not a chance. Man. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I know you. The one thing that I have always said about you, Charles, is while I talk about Twitter hate and all the stuff I get and I try to act like it doesn't bother me, I genuinely feel that you're on the short list and it's really short of people who don't care what is said about them and don't care. You're going to speak your mind. You're going to say what's what's there. You're going to be true to yourself. And whatever happens after that happens, there are so few people walking the planet, walking this country that are in that category. Have you always been that way? Am I reading that right? Do you truly not care what's said about you or how people react to what you say? I, I don't. And I learned that in Philadelphia. I got to Philadelphia in 84. And so the first couple of years, nobody talked to me because they were talking to Dr. J and Moses and Maurice Cheeks and those guys. So by 86, at the end of my second year, I was starting to become a star. And I was learning, and Dr. J was helping me along the way. And I said, Doc, I don't know how to, what to say. He says, it doesn't matter what you say. Half these people going to like it and half people going to dislike it. Mm. And I had to learn that. I mean, I re- that was very difficult for me, too, 
to realize no matter what you say, are you in a bad situation? Because people actually think you give a fuck who win these games. Like, mm-hmm. I know you, it ain't like I get extra money. You're like, no, I'm going to just tell, oh. I'm do my job. But the fans, fans are like this. Tell me my favorite player is great. Tell me my favorite team is really, really good. And then we're golden. You can't tell me my favorite player got any flaws. You can't tell me my team sucks or I'm going to hate your ass. And that's the business we are in, Buck. And ain't nothing – like, it doesn't matter what you say. They they, they hear what they want to hear. Mm. Well, the funniest thing, Oliver, I, I don't know if you were there this year. I think this was the year Michelle came out. And so I bring Michelle. I'm trying to to impress her. She comes out to the to Tahoe to this golf tournament. And Charles is doing his thing at night. The whole bar, he owns the bar. Everybody oh, yeah. loves everything Charles does. And he, he's like, get up on stage, man. Get up on stage. I'm like, nah, I, I've already taken enough shit in this casino from all these <laughs> Northern California people. You hate the Giants. You hate the 40. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't hate them. Uh, yeah. And then they're fine. But I get up on stage. Now it's, there's a crowd down there and they start booing me. Meanwhile, the girl I'm dating is right there. I'm like, oh, this is great. Charles walks out with the microphone. He goes, hey, 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 hey. Stop. 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 Why are you booing this guy? He doesn't hate your team. And there was one guy who kept going and you stopped, Charles. And you went, you know what your problem is out there booing my friend? You're ugly. You're ugly. You're an ugly person. Look at that guy. He's ugly. And then everybody laughed and nobody gave a shit anymore. I was like, this guy, where has Charles been all my life? I need to, yeah. I need to walk around the world with Charles Barkley because he just goes, shut up, and here's what's going on. I, yeah, but, but Charles, is this, who, is this who you have been from the get-go, from when you were born? Or was this something that Dr. J basically said, look, be yourself, do what you're going to do? Or have you always been outspoken and, and not giving a shit what people think? Because, like, Kurt, my dad, that's who he is. He doesn't give a fuck what people think about him. And it's so liberating. I wish I had even a piece of that. Well, number one, with the career he's had, he really shouldn't give a shit what other people think. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's had one of the greatest career, and I'm not saying that because I'm on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be that successful for, for that many years, yeah. You number one, you know what you're doing, and you're very talented. I had to learn. Everybody has to learn to be in the limelight. There's nothing no, anybody can tell you. There's nobody that can pre- prepare you for it. Like it's a it's a great thing, it's a crazy thing, it sucks at times, it's amazing. I mean, it it, it, it in the big picture it's pretty awesome not to have a real job, as I say. Mm-hmm. But man, it is not easy. I mean, you see uh you see guys crash and burn every week on TV. Mm-hmm. Like this thing, like every little mistake, especially now in the social media and the what what the Twitter age where they're trying to get you all the time. Any little mistake you make is just crazy. Uh, but I had to learn. But like I say the hardest thing for me, Oliver, was to learn, Charles, it don't matter what you say. Half these people going to like you and half them going to hate you. Now, that was difficult for me because I'm from a small town in Alabama. And I think deep down, everybody wants to be like. But you have to ask yourself, why does that person not like you? And it's always bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, like Buck just said, you hate the 49ers. You hate the Giants. Like, man, 
I don't give a rat's ass who wins these games. I tell people, you know what I want? The season to be over so I can play golf every day and fish. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, that's, hey that, that, I tell people, they're like, because my, my friends are like, dude, you care? I'm like, yeah, I care because I want this shit to be over. Yeah. I love my job. I get to watch, I get paid to watch the greatest athletes in the world do their thing. But like, I want it to be over so I can play golf and fish every day. That's mm. what I want more That's than what... anything. I do not care who wins. I'm not watching no championship parades. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to call the guys who lost and console them. If they need me, I'm going to be on the golf course. I'm going to be fishing somewhere. <laughs> That's all I care about. And what about what about you, that the, the campaign, the Nike campaign? I'm not a role model. Was that your concept? Yeah, that was a, that's probably the, the thing I'm most proud of to the day. You know, because all of us, so this is what was happening. I went to Nike, I think it was like 89 when I did that commercial. And I said, hey, I got this idea for a commercial. And I know it's going to be controversial, but it's going to be a good talking point conversation. And they said, you're out of your fucking mind <laughs> to make this commercial. I said, I said you're going to get killed by the public, by the press. I said, I said first of all, I'm a big boy. I can handle criticism. I said, but let me tell you what's happening. So when I'm going to speak, and you know, a lot of players go speak at schools. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that the white schools, when I said, well, how many of y'all want to, and I'm talking, I took this survey for like five, four or five years before I went to Nike with the commercial. I said, well, how many of you, what do you guys want to do for a living? And when I went to a white school, like only like 5% of the kids raised their hand saying, they want to play sports. And these white kids are male, like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an engineer, a teacher, fireman, policeman. So then when I would go to the predominantly black school or, or, or a black school, every kid raised their hand. And I'm like, yo, man, don't you think about being a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, teacher, fireman, policeman, something like that, going to service? And they're like, no, we're going to make it in the, we're going to make it in the NFL. We're going to make it in the NBA. Uh, or we're going to be a rapper. I'm like, man, that's like hitting a lottery. So that's how I came up with the mm. concept. And it was really cool. Uh, it was really cool when when Nike said, man, I, we will give you some credit. We were wrong. Because 90% of the letters they got were positive. Mm. Listen, I know athletes are somewhat role models. But listen, I get so frustrated when every black kid thinks the only way they can be successful Mm-hmm. It's through athletics and entertainment. What if you if you went to those schools today again? Do you think that would be different? Do you think those hands would still be raised? Well, I think we still have a problem. We're we're the we're the only ethnic group that don't value education. You know, most most uh, ethnic groups number one thing. One of the reasons I I give a lot of money to historically black colleges is I never talked to them about sports. I, I just gave $4 million to four historically black colleges. When I meet with the students, I say, hey, you can't ask me no sports questions. Mm-hmm. You can't ask me any sports questions. Now, if you want to talk how you can be doctors, lawyers, engineers, accountants, things like that, I will put you in contact with people who can be mentors and things like that. But I'm not going to put you in contact with Michael Jordan that you think you're going to make it to the NBA mm-hmm. when you're like five, six. And your mm-hmm. mom and dad, like five, eight, you're not gonna make it to the NBA. <laughs> right. But but that's that's honest by you. I what I love about you is y- you know no enemies. I feel like everybody that comes into your path, if they're a good person, meaning well, 
you you're there to help. You're there to be friendly. You're there to I I find you as one of the most accessible guys to the average person who people have seen in the NBA Finals, who's in the Hall of Fame, who's one of the 50 greatest players in the history of the NBA, and you don't ever act like it. Yeah, and $4 million, where's that story? I haven't read that story. Why oh, well, Why is that know, not out there? Well, they're going to wait till I throw somebody through a window again. That's, you know, hey, that's hey, right. but, hey, that, that's, that, that, you know, and that's actually the negative, negative thing about our business. Like, we don't cover good stories anymore we're trying to get clickbait any one of us either one of you two or me doing thing wrong it's going to be front page news and people that's just the, the and it's really unfortunate that's the world we live in today negativity gets everybody attention uh and it's really unfortunate and it's really sad because everybody's trying to get their piece noticed because there's so much competition out here on television and things like that. The best way to get people's attention is to come up with something negative mm-hmm. and then people are going to, they're going to go right to that story. And it, it, when the thing you, you, you know, that's going to happen. Like I tell any of my friends, when you screw up and you become the news for like a 24 or 48 hour cycle, I said, you just got to be patient and ride it out and get beat to death. Mm-hmm. And then something else is going to happen. Right. Because I mean, look, I look, at, was- look at Tiger. You know what I mean? Like a tiger for me, it's just just interesting that you talk about we're talking about this role model situation. Right. Yeah. Tiger. I've been a huge fan of Tiger for a long, long, long time. The thing is, when that happened, which is a mistake, it just happened to be publicized. Right. We happen to be living in a world where everything that you fucking do now is shown and seen. OK, there's been plenty of people who have done much worse back in the day and it's never been seen before. The issue that I had with that is everyone is saying, oh, my God, we, we I put this faith in you. You are a role model to my kids in the community. And I'm like, well, did Tiger choose that? Did he choose to be a role model or did you make him a role model? Because if you're the one who made him that person, then that's your issue. You know what I mean? He's a man. Well, first of all, I think all those people are full of shit because, listen, these people ain't going out there telling their kids that Tiger's their role model. We Mm want to see Tiger. And listen, no disrespect to Jack Nicklaus, who's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think Tiger's the greatest golfer ever lived. Mm -hmm. I want to see Tiger Woods. Uh, play golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care anything about his personal life because, like you said, I know there are some guys and, and who done some things in their personal life, but I, I don't. I don't turn on my TV to worry about guys' personal life. I turn on to see Tiger play golf. Mm-hmm. That's all I care about. It's, and like I say, it's interesting because listen, if, when you watch certain sports, you've seen and, and well, the NFL is probably at the top of the food chain. But they got guys out there who kill people, who beat the hell out of women, and nobody. And we just like, oh, they got a lot of talent. Let's give them another chance. So I don't really get caught up into the BS like you were my role model. Like, no, nah, man, we put guys out there who can win. Mm-hmm. That's what sports are about: winning. Uh, there's never a reason to hit a woman ever. Uh, there's, you know, like I say, we've got guys out there who did vehicular homicide. We give them second and third chances, and and that's not, and that's just the way this thing works. Mm-hmm. You look at college football; a guy screws up at one school, you're gonna see him at another school yeah. the, the, the next year. Yeah. So I, I hate when people out here try to act like, "Where we you're supposed to be raising our kids?" No, first of all, you're supposed to be raising your kid. Give me a break. 
What about growing up? You know, what was that like? Did you have brothers and sisters? What was that household like? You know, what was your dad like? As we are doing a podcast called Daddy Issues. Well, you know, you know, Oliver, it was really me and my dad. We are friends and cordial today. My mm-hmm. dad was never in my life growing up. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I really, really want to be a good father to my, I got one daughter and she's the most important thing. I really want to be a good father because my dad wasn't there. I was raised by a single mom. I had three brothers. Two of my brothers have passed away. Mm. And my mom worked in, uh, my grandmother, I was raised by my mother and grandmother. My mom worked in a meat, uh, my mom was a maid. Uh, my grandmother worked in a meat factory and they did the best they could. We didn't, re- I didn't realize we were poor because I'm from a small town, Leeds, Alabama, and no, nobody else has got anything there. So I don't even realize I'm poor. To, I don't even realize, off the top of my head, I don't even remember when I realized like, oh man, we're poor. Mm-hmm. Because like I say, I, I'm in a small town with a couple thousand people and I don't realize we don't have anything. My mom and grandmother did a fantastic job. Mm. I mean, they made sure I, like when I first got good at basketball, they made sure I got the one pair of shoes and they did come into the locker room right after the game. But they had to last me the whole season at one pair. <laughs> but I didn't know I was poor. Uh, but I think one of the reasons we have struggled in the black community is I thought it was normal not to have a dad at home. It's not normal. Uh, it's not normal. Like I say, I, I can count on one hand how many of us had a mom and dad at home, and it has really hurt our community. Uh, and we and we got to do much better. Uh, we got to do much better at being fathers, uh, a lot better. Was your dad ever in your life? I mean, or did he leave early, or was he just never there? He left early, uh, and he was never there. And like I say, uh, we are cordial because we connected once I was in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I didn't need uh, a daddy or a father. But I love my dad. We're at peace with each other or what happened. I have forgiven him mm-hmm. for not being there. Cause I, so I'll tell you a story. Um, man, I used to be an angry dude. You know, Buck, thank you for the kind words. And I try to be nice to everybody who comes up to me. But there was a time I was an asshole. And so when I – so I, most people don't even know this. I, was, I sucked at basketball until I was a senior. I grew from 5'10 to 6'5 in one year. Whoa. They got really, really good at basketball. So a couple of things happened. Number one, I, had, I was really angry at my dad. We, at this point, I know we're poor. We're living in the projects. projects and I'm thinking, I just got to go to college and get an education to make our lives better. I don't even, I'm not even thinking basketball at the time. I'm only, I'm a 5'10", chubby backup point guard. There's not a lot of uh, scholarship offers for those guys. But for some reason, I grew and got really good. So my senior year, because I, I had never got a letter to go to college uh, offer until my senior year. Uh, I had not gotten an offer until my senior year. So then I started getting offers. I was going to stay close to home, Alabama, Auburn, and UAB, because I'm really close with my mother and grandmother. So I, I picked Auburn, a great decision, love my college. So then I get to the NBA. But my senior year, we get upset in the state championship game, and I go into a deep funk. And 
I am so out of it. I flunked Spanish. So I didn't get to March. Mm. So when I get to the NBA, I'm starting to have success. And then I get to the NBA and I'm like, okay, I made it. Now I'm going to stick it up. Everybody has whoever screwed me in my life. So there was two people on my hit parade. Well, three people. My dad. Every time I played a basketball game, I was saying to myself, I'm going to just stick it to my dad for making my our life miserable. Then there was Miss Gomez, who was the sweetest teacher in the world, but I was angry because I flunked Spanish and didn't get to March. <laughs> and the third was everybody I went to high school with who laughed at me when I didn't get to March. So I had to go to summer school to take Spanish for three weeks, and then I went to college. So after three years of college, you know, I went to the NBA. And, man, I was so angry when I played basketball. I was trying to stick to my dad, Ms. Gomez, and all my college, my high school team classmates. And finally, one night, I went over the edge when I spit. And I remember it like, like it was yesterday because I think about it all the time about, man, if you do something really, really stupid, like it's humiliating, embarrassing, and there's nothing you can do about it when everybody in the world hates you. But just just to, just to interject, just so people know what you're talking about, some fan was heckling you. You're already angry, as you said. You went over during the game and spit at that yes. fan, but the spit predominantly, predominantly landed on some little girl, right? Yes, 100%. And I got suspended, rightfully so. But when I was sitting by myself – I was, you know how when you when you do something really stupid and you're sitting by yourself and you're like, how in the hell did I get here? How in the hell did I get stuck? My team is playing. Everybody in the world is talking bad about me, rightfully so. How can you be such an idiot and a moron? And that night, I stayed up all night and I, I said, okay, your dad wasn't there. Let that shit go. Miss mm-hmm. Gomez didn't flunk Spanish. You flunk Spanish. Let that go. And then I said, hey, those kids were laughing at you and making fun of you for not graduating because that's what kids do. Let that go. And now and I think that was like my third, third year in the NBA, maybe my fourth, somewhere in there. And from that day on, I said, you know what? I'm just going to play basketball to be good for me, just for me, mm-hmm. and do the best I can. And I ain't going to walk around angry like an asshole all the time because stuff that happened in my childhood. And so that point, Buck, what you said, like anybody take the time to come say hello to me, I'm always be cordial and open to them. But, man, that was the time. I was like, I was mad at the world on stupid shit I did. Uh, yeah. like the thing with my dad is a little bit different, but the teacher didn't flunk me. I flunked myself. And uh, But, I, you know, it's like, man, one thing about life, this thing is a learning experience yeah. for all of us. You, and but you never you get to, all you, the answer to the test. But you had to be able to turn it on and off, right? I mean, you had to live your life. You had to be a happier guy. You had to let all that stuff go. But on the court, you had to find some sort of motivation to be the size you were, yeah. to do what you did on the basketball court, to use your strength, to use your agility as a big guy, whatever it took to get the rebound, to get inside, to make stuff happen. So you had to be able to separate those two, right? 
Yeah, but you, but you know, you you heard the phrase getting in your own way. A lot of players get in their own way because to play sports, you got to be totally relaxed. You can't have no other stuff going on in your head because sports are hard enough. Uh, I, and I uh, immediately became a better player because I didn't have all those demons mm. in my damn head. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I, 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 when I turn that, I, when you turn the noise off, like, man, life is a lot easier to be successful like and, and this, this and this goes for everybody because everybody got noise mm -hmm. every single person got noise going on somewhere in their head like somebody you know whether it's a relationship with mom and dad with their kids with their brothers and sisters uh or work people like everybody's got some noise going on the key is how do you quiet the noise and just do your job so I actually immediately felt like a better player because I had turned all the noise off in my head. Yeah, and I guess turning that noise off, though, you know, there's a lot of forgiveness when, you know, forgiveness is it helps in turning that noise off. You know, I mean, I, I my my dad my dad left when I was six or seven. Kurt came into my life. I had a I had an amazing male role model in my life, yeah. but only in the last two or three years have I truly forgiven my father, and it lifted yes. something for me for sure. Um, I, I'm beginning to have some texting conversations with him. Things are getting, you know, not, I would never say back on track because there really never was a track, but there is communication happening. But I have well, so much forgiveness for him because of his story. Like, was there a time when you had that moment of forgiving your dad? And, and how did you even do that? How did you come to that conclusion? Well, actually, uh, it was a friend of mine. He's, he said, because he, he said he had known the strain in my relationship with my dad because he wanted a few people I talked to about it because I got mad at my dad again because, <laughs> you know, he left when I was poor and we reconciled when I was Charles Barkley and then he wanted to be like, I'm Charles Barkley's dad. I'm like, ho, 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 slow your road. Like, no, I, I'm, it's not going to work like that. So, so I got mad all over again. Mm. Uh, and then one of my friends says, hey, man, and this is like another five or six years down the line. He says, hey, you have to remember something. You're, your you're too old to have a dad or a father, however you want to phrase it. But you need to be friends with your dad. Because he said, man, when my dad died, I don't have any more Father's Days. Mm -hmm. And I was, I said, what? He says, you know, once your dad died, you don't have any more Father's Days. And I was like, wow, that's very interesting. Because, uh, uh, and, and I know it now because uh, when my mom passed away a couple years ago, uh, I don't have Mother's Day anymore. And, it, and it, it always stings a little bit. So I had to make that decision with my dad. Like, hey, listen, man, uh, all the stuff, we can't do anything about any other stuff to have many past. Mm. but let's be friends and cordial because you're the only dad I'm ever going to have. And since that point, you know, we've been cordial. Uh, I, I got love for him. Uh, I, I don't feel animosity or anger toward him anymore. But like I say, I, I wanted to like, you're only going to get one. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. 
he's made me a better dad. Because you want to do the opposite of what he did. 100%. Charles, this is my, I mean, it's the same thing. Like when my dad left, I could have gone two different ways, right? Because my dad's dad left him in the middle of the night when my dad was five years old. So my dad just repeated that pattern. When I was in my teens and early 20s, I was like, I am never going to be like that, you know? Um, So I, I can imagine it was probably similar. It was like, fuck that. Like, I will not be this to my kids. Well, so, so, you know, what you said is so interesting is because that's one thing that bothers me when people talk about poor people, because being a product of your environment is a really big deal. Uh, not to get all philosophical between your dad and his dad, no. but that had to have some effect upon him. So I always tell people, I don't judge people from bad environments and things like that because they just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. They, they just don't. Like I was telling you earlier, like when I, before I got to be uh, older and mature, like, wait, y'all got moms and dads? Like when I was in high school in a small town, like them, no, nobody had moms and dads. And all the girls were pregnant in high school. And I was like, yeah, it's no big deal. They're like, Charles, you do know girls are not supposed to be pregnant in high school. I'm like, I don't, uh, wait a minute, what do you mean? They're like, that's not normal. And I had to take a step back. I'm like, oh, I had to really be careful judging people because those kids are, that's how they were raised and they just don't know any better. We are, and we are a product of our environment. So that's why I always, when I meet somebody, and they're struggling or got some things going on. Like you got to listen to them. Like, hey, let me hear your story, and that I, that might explain some of the stupid shit they've done in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, interestingly enough, Buck and I have gotten some comments. You know, the negative comments we get for doing this show is, "Oh, who the fuck are you to sort of talk about any struggles that you've had growing up?" You know, you grew up privileged, you grew up with money, you grew up with your parents being famous, and I never respond to comments really. But this one person wrote me something, and I just felt compelled to, and I wrote him. You know, a pretty decent sized little email explaining that, look, I, I do I did I did I get lucky for sure. But my problems, you know, my issues growing up are mine and they are affecting me in a certain way. It doesn't matter where I come from. This is in, this is my emotional scarring, my baggage to deal with. You know what I mean? My pain yeah. is just as relevant you know, just because I came from a better spot and I had more ad- advantages in life, that doesn't detract from whatever emotional pain that I've been through or physical yeah, it, pain that I've been through in my but, life. But Oliver, I go through the same thing. Like when I try to talk about black issues, you know, because uh, well, all the celebrity, all the black celebrities, when we like when we try to talk about black issues, we get well. What do they know about being black? <laughs> they're rich and they're famous. So that that goes back earlier to when we're talking with Buck. It's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, if you know, they say, well, Michael Jordan don't say anything. Yeah, when he said things, y'all going to say, well, what does Michael Jordan know about being black? I says, that's why you don't di- you can never get caught up in the bullshit. I actually think what you guys doing is awesome and fantastic. And for that... Wait, are, are you not supposed, just because you grew up 
and having having a great life. You're not supposed to talk about anything. Yeah. I mean, so so that's why you have that goes back to what Buck asked me again. Like, yo, man, I don't give a fuck what all these people think. I'm gonna do the best I can with my with the things at my disposal. And when somebody says, "Hey, Charles Burger, don't know anything about being black," I said, "Well, first of all, I, I was actually black and poor at mm-hmm. one point, mm-hmm. but you're the same group of assholes who say." Wait, these guys never stand up for anything. So which is it? Do you want me to stand up or you want me to shut the hell up? It can't mm-hmm. be both. It's got to be mm-hmm. A or B. It can't be A and B. Mm-hmm. So but now I as a guy, up- Charles, as a guy is, is, what are you, 57 years old, somewhere in there? You yeah. have to look back with all of your life experience and go, okay, not only did my dad walk out, you had a stepfather who was killed. So you yes. have two male theoretical role models that are taken out of your life. You have this hardworking mom, this angelic grandmother who you said was the closest person in your life. And something was instilled in you that drove you to where you sit today. And and that's what I, I would imagine that while people are taking shots, you know, at some point you turn off and you go, how dare you? I mean, I, I, you know, for you and Oliver, and I can never say this, but for you to get out of Leeds, Alabama, whether it's basketball or anything else, for what you've done in the community, you've, you've hosted SNL multiple times, you're on TNT, you're a Hall of Fame basketball player, you're loved, you're beloved by anybody that meets you, you, you have had something put in you, and, and, and that's my question, where do you think that comes from, that drive? What was different about you? Forget that you grew. I don't care. A lot of people grow. Mm. What was different in Charles Barkley going into his senior year that drove you on to college, that drove you to be the pro that you were, even as a small-ish dude up front in the NBA – to be a top 50 all-time player. what? Where did that come from? You know, you guys both know this. Man, there's so many people you meet along the way. I can go back to high school, junior high, and there was bombs in the neighborhood who would say great things to me about, yo, man, get out of here. Don't be doing that. My high school principal said to me one time, why are you hanging out with these fools? You got potential. Jerry Oxford was his name. He said to me one day, he said, son, why are you hanging out with these fools? Now, this is even before I was good at basketball. He says, you're a nice kid, but you just want to fit in, right? Don't be hanging out with these fools. And that meant a great deal to me. You know, when I went to college, uh, you know, my coach was awesome, Sonny Smith. Uh, one of my teammates, even to this day, Greg Turner. And actually, the probably the most important person in my life is Moses Malone. Mm. Uh, Moses is, you know, I, I'll never forget our conversation. I asked Moses, could I come up to the penthouse? We lived in the same building. And I said, Moses, can I come up to your penthouse tonight? And talk, I want to talk to you. He says, sure, but you can. And I said, Moses, why am I not getting a play? And to quote the great Moses Malone, you fat and you lazy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He says, Charles, you fat and you lazy. And the, it hurt like hell, number one. But he says, sit down. He says, you weigh 295 pounds. 
you can't play because I played about between 295 and 300 pounds in college and obviously I had success I was the number five pick in the draft but Moses said to me son you can't play at 300 pounds in the NBA and at this point he's already a hall of famer he's a Charles you got to get in shape because you can't work hard because you're not in shape Mm. and this guy he says, I'll meet you before practice, after practice. He did that. He said, let's lose 10 pounds. I get to 290. He said, let's lose 10 more. I get to 280. Now I'm starting to get to play. Mm. He gets me to 270, 260, and 250. And that's what I played my whole career. But this guy, if he had told me, if he said, hey, man, I'm at the end of my career. I ain't got time for your shit. You're a young kid my life would be totally different. Wow. And for him to take the time to meet me before practice, after practice, and let me lose 50 pounds, it's really, it was really the, the best thing ever happened to me as a professional. Have you ever paid uh, that forward in your life? Have you ever been that guy for someone else? I've always been that guy for any guy, uh, going back to Oliver Miller, uh, Katino Mobley, Steve Francis, and, and, and listen, every guy don't listen. I don't want to act like that. A lot of these guys don't listen. Yeah, I was going to say, out. you still had to want to lose weight. You still had to want to yeah, yeah. do it. It doesn't matter what Moses said. Yeah, there was no cool sculpting back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's no cool sculpting. <laughs> but let me tell you something, though. I have had tried to help younger guys, and they told me to get the fuck out of their face. That I'm, the, you know, because anytime you, like, it's kind of like us with our kids. They think that we're just old people. We never been through anything in our life. Yeah, they don't realize like, hey, you know, your, your, your dad's actually done some crazy shit in his life. Yeah, they all this stuff ain't new. Now there's more of it, but all this stuff, I've been around. It. Dude, I'm going through that shit right now with my son. He's 13. He's going through puberty. His hormones are starting to come up, and it's a whole new experience for me. He is challenging me as if I don't know shit, and I look at him I'm like Wilder. What are you doing, man? I'm 43. I know way more than you do, you little dick. Jesus. Hey, you know, so my daughter, first of all, uh, shout out to my daughter, just got engaged. I'm really uh, proud oh, of her. Congratulations. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Uh, see, do we, uh, do we like him? Do we love the kid? Is he great? He's a great kid. I love the kid. My daughter went to Colum- uh, Villanova and Columbia, so I think she's pretty smart, mm. and she picked a really good one. Mm, but 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 I, we, we used to fight sometimes because she was great till she got about 16 and 17 and then she developed a wise i call mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. you know like uh, up until then I, I we said do something she just did it and then she met some friends in high school and no matter what we said she's like dad why <laughs> i said excuse me <laughs> i says i says i need you to do something she says why i says Cause I fucking said so. Exactly. That's what do you I mean? Say. Why? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. We're not. We're not. Uh, we're not gonna worry about little Jimmy and little Cindy. What they say at their parents' house. Yeah. Say, no, no. When I tell you to do something, you don't say why. This ain't the why. We, this ain't the why household. If you, if me and your mom tell you something to do, you do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to hear that why shit. Uh, why? Cause you live here. Why? Cause you pay all your bills. <laughs> When you, we, we ain't going to ask you to go run a marathon. And we say, do something, you do it. And then they go to college and they come back. But, man, when they go through that high school stage where they question everything, yeah, uh, I was like, hey, uh, we need to sit down and talk. 
I says, hey, I'm an old man now, but I've been through what you're going through. My job as your dad to don't let you make any stupid mistakes. I'm not trying to be a, uh, I'm not trying to be the bad parent or the good parent. My job is to get you ready for the real world. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some of these fools make bad, stupid decisions, and I don't want you to do that. And I think she understands it now, but man, those mm -hmm. last couple of years of high school, I was like, hey, this is not working for me. How did you deal with with your daughter dating? Like when she first started dating, I mean, as a as a dad, were you were you cool? With I have everyone? Gotten, uh, it, I was not good at all. No, I was awful. <laughs> I got yelled at every single night because this is what I would do, Oliver. When a young man came over, mm -hmm. I would say, "Hey, I'm Charles. I'm Christiana's father. Welcome to my house. Uh, welcome anytime." And then I would leave. And then they would yell at me like, are you going to be friendly and hang out? I'm like, no, I'm not going to be friendly and hang out. I yeah. says, uh, when you get serious with a kid, I'm not going to meet every little doofus you bring to my house and <laughs> see, uh, you know, sit around and have dinner with him and, and go in the backyard and play basketball with him. When you find the right one, we can do that. But just because you're bringing some 16-year-old kid over here who you ain't never going to see again, mm -hmm. uh, more than likely, I'm not going to be friendly to every kid you bring home. That's just mm -hmm. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, did you ever <laughs> – but, but you know, you are Charles Barkley, right? And, and you know, I had to deal with this a little bit because my parents were who they were. Yeah. You have – your daughter probably has a very keen understanding of when people are being truthful and genuine and authentic yeah. or when they're after something. You know what I mean? Yes. Like how many dudes were like, oh, man, Charles Barkley is her dad. You know, I'm I, I I'm going to be into her. Or did you have to look out for that? Well, I just told her, I said, listen, um, you're my daughter. You're all I care about. You make sure they respect you. You make sure they respect you. And I said, the number one thing I want for you is, I said, you're going to go to college. You're not going to be anybody's wife. You're going to make sure if no man ever going to treat you bad, you're going to be able to take care of yourself. I said, you know, a lot of women get treated bad because the man makes all the money and the women don't, you know, they don't have their own life and own careers. I said, my job, I said, you're going to go to Villanova. That's where she wanted to go. And I said, you're going to go to Columbia. You're going to have, you're going to be, you're going to have a great job. Now, if you meet a man, we're good, but you make sure that he treats you great. I said, you're my daughter. You're going to get treated great, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, when they would come over, I say, I didn't want to get friendly with any of them. I mean, because how many people actually get serious with somebody? Because I always ask this, Christiana, these guys, you're going to college. Y'all ain't going to the same college. Mm -hmm. I said, so these guys you bringing over here in high school, I'm not going to be friendly to them. I hope you never see them again uh, till later in life when they're successful. But I said, but these guys, I gotta say, I'm not even big on dating in high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like, wait a minute, because we all gonna go separate ways. Hopefully, when we graduate, I hope everybody's successful. 
but let's let's meet up after we're successful. Let's don't meet while we're still living with our parents and ain't got no job. Mm-hmm. And you guys have an open, pretty open relationship. She can tell you everything. Or is there, there's things that you that she just closes off about? <laughs> like I, but, just well, like Charles I, just did. Like he just got quiet. Hey, hey. I, I, I'm I'm almost asking like for myself because you know again with my oldest, even my boy, I'm finding that he's sort of closing down just a little bit. Where I'm like, dude, yeah. t- what are you thinking? What's in your mind right now? Talk to me. I'm the man you should be talking to right now. Well, first of all, I think that's a great point you just said. Like, I te- I I text her or call her all the time going back years. I mean, she's 31 now. Mm-hmm. She just turned 31. I says, you can tell me anything good or bad. Mm-hmm. Anything good or bad. And it was so funny, uh, Oliver, one time, and she's really, she's really a sweet person. So one time she's on spring break with a bunch of girls. I think she's like 20 and some TMZ busted her drinking with her girlfriends at a bar. So I got a call from a friend of mine uh, uh, in, in the police department, giving me a heads up. See, that's the so fucked up about the world we live in today. Though, yeah, it way. is. Okay. Yeah. Go, yeah. I mean, go ahead. Her and her girlfriend, yeah. They were, they, they were kissing each other yeah. and drinking a bottle of Georgie, you know, the vodka with the handle. Yeah. And they were on spring break somewhere. I don't even remember. That's how long ago it was. So uh, one of my police friends who was monitoring the internet said, hey, this, they're doing this story on your daughter. I just want you to know in advance. So I text her. I said, go to your room and call me, please. She said, Dad, what's going on? I said, Christiana, this is what's going to happen right now. Somebody's following you down wherever you're at. They took a bunch of pictures with you and your girlfriends. Y'all were kissing, like, you know, college girls kissing and drinking a bottle of vodka. And she just started screaming, crying. I said, stop crying. We don't cry in the Barkley household. And <laughs> people say, when somebody say bad things about you. She said, Dad, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I said, calm down, Christiana. I said, you're a young kid on spring break. I'm not going to yell and scream at you. And I said, hey, that's the double standard. It ain't right, it ain't wrong, but when you're in the limelight, there's a double standard. You have to take the good with the bad. I tell guys that all the time. Yo, man, you don't get to be famous and make all that money when you do something stupid or, or like you have to get some bad stuff happening. That's the way this thing works. I said, I'm a little disappointed in you, though, for drinking Georgia vodka. <laughs> I said, I said, you're better I said, than that, kid. I, know, I, said, I, just, I said, you're better than that. Yeah. I said, you know, anytime, anytime your vodka comes in a pitcher, like like milk or something like that, and it caught, <laughs> and it's really cheap, I said, don't be drinking Georgia vodka. If you need some more money on spring break, just call me. I'll send you some. It's I, I think as you tell that story, I'm wondering if, you know, obviously any kid who gets that call from her dad is thinking that she disappointed dad. And and I'm I'm assuming you called her because you were thinking about her. You weren't thinking about how it really reflected on you. You know, there, there's well, a distinction there. Well, you're 100% correct. I was actually just really worried about her. Right. Listen, That's now, am I, if, if she had been doing something crazy, like, <laughs> I'll tell you another funny story. Uh, we went to Vegas for her 21st birthday. I took about her and a bunch of her girlfriends. 
and I, she had just turned 21, and I ordered a bunch of shots. She had about seven, eight girlfriends with her. And I said, this is so awesome. Your dad going to be with you the first time you have a drink. And all eight of the girls <laughs> almost fit their, 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 their I said, listen, I'm not a moron. Uh, we're parents. We're not morons. The notion that our kids are not going to drink when they go away to college, uh, I'm not like that. I don't want them drinking and driving. I don't want them being separated. I say, hey, don't ever leave a place by yourself. Mm -hmm. Ever, ever. Things like that. But I says, the notion that all these parents think, well, my kid, she's she's my sweet little Annie Mae, that she's at college and she's not having fun and things like that. And my sweet little Bobby is at college and he's not partying and having fun. I said, come on, man. that's That's not the world we live in. I tell my daughter, hey, just be safe and careful. That's all you can do. That's all yeah. you can do, man. Yeah, yeah. Oliver, yeah, yeah, Oliver's yeah. not there yet. I'm, I'm there, kind of, with my daughters being 24 and 21. There's just nothing better than getting to the other side of it and being able to look at your kids as adults and being able to have kind of a, a conversation on an even playing field. Even though we always know it's not, they're always going to be you know, your little girl and, and my girls are always going to be daddy's little girls. But when they get to a certain age and you start to see the real choices they make for life and, and you're proud of those choices, like you just had this engagement. I mean, there, there's just nothing, there's no feeling like that in life. I well, think, you, you, you know, you know, Buck, there. what's so interesting about that, when we would have those private conversations going back when she's 16, 17, I said, this is my goal for you. This is my goal for you. I says, I want you get. I want to get you through college, not pregnant, mm-hmm. not in jail, and a great education. At that point, you should have some common sense. So, I, I what you just said, like, because once they get out of college, like, you're not a kid anymore. You're like a young adult. And I said, I said, Christiana, my goals for you are very simple: don't be pregnant, don't be in jail, get a great education. At that point. You're going to always be my little girl, but you're going to be an adult. So what you said is so important. Like, hey, you could, I can't even tell you to come home at a certain time <laughs> once you're 24 years old. I mean, you're 16 and 17. I'm like, no, you better be home before midnight. Mm-hmm. But then once they go away to college, uh, Ashley, and she had to call. When she went out in college, she had to let me know when she got home. I like, hey, listen. No disrespect. You go out and have fun. Don't go to bed without mm-hmm. letting us know you got home safe. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's such a different time too, man. Because when I was in college, there was no cell phones, and you know, even in high school, there's no cell phones. So you're you're sort of just on your own. My parents yeah. never needed to know when I came home. You know, yeah. it was it wasn't even a thing. It was not as, as accessible as it is today. You well, know, well, but you, but you, you know, Oliver I, and I. I don't know if crazy shit happened when we were younger, but like every night you turn on the TV, like once or twice a week, you see some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like last year, well, it was probably a couple of years ago when this young lady got in the wrong Uber mm-hmm. and this guy killed her. And I'm like, yeah. damn man. Yeah. Like it can, it can be over that quickly. Yeah. Like yeah. she got in the wrong Uber 
and this crazy ass dude uh, killed her. And I was like, man, that is so, I felt so bad for the parents. You send your kids away to school. And I told her, I told her, I said, yo, don't you ever leave a bar. Y'all come together, you leave together. Don't yeah. ever leave by yourself. I mean, and, that, and that's really all you can do. Yeah, and I think too, nowadays, I think kids are a little bit more aware of all of that as well. You know, I mean, but that's but there's but that's still just a lot of crazy out there. Oh God, oh, yeah. yeah, it's scary, man. But it's, they it's, they had to have always been there. We just weren't aware of them because right. there wasn't, you know, there was no New York Post app or whatever to deliver to your phone that you know some psycho just went off. I mean, those people just probably lived in anonymity and probably in some ways got away with stuff that uh, that we weren't ever aware of. Uh, hey, Charles, growing up. Growing up, did you have a like a male influence in your life? I know your dad was gone, and then you know your stepdad died. I mean, was there was there someone who you looked up to? I had two great grandfathers mm-hmm. uh, who were great, who did the best they could. Uh, my dad's dad was a great grandfather, and my grandmother's husband uh, was a great grandfather. But you know, Oliver, I, I, one thing that really helped me a lot. Growing up in a small town, mm-hmm. I tell people, man, growing up in a small town is totally like I have no idea. Like you know, Kenny, growing up in New York City, mm-hmm. like I like I would not want to grow up in New York City. It's a good city, but like we got one streetlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you get, we got a Jack's, which is a knockoff McDonald's, and we had a Sonic. Those were the only two restaurants in town. Mm-hmm. We had no other restaurants in my hometown. And if you didn't get something to eat by seven o'clock through the week, and by ten o'clock on the weekend, you don't get anything to eat if you want to go out and eat. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I love my hometown because I, like I say, we didn't know we're about thirty minutes from Birmingham, but. We like it, 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 it could be like it's 30 minutes, but it could be like another planet away. Uh, you go K to 12 with the same people. Um, so yeah. I was very blessed to go out to grow up in a, in a, in a great situation. Was, was Leeds predominantly a black town? No, it's a predominantly white town. It was. And what yeah. was that? What was it like growing up just as far as race went? you know, in Alabama in the 60s? Well, <laughs> it sucked, number one. <laughs> but but it didn't, it, 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 I tell you, it, it, was, it was pretty good in my hometown. Mm-hmm. But in Birmingham, the year I was born was the year they bombed the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody know that famous story about the four little girls with a clan uh, blew up to burn the church. You had the, Mon- the Montgomery boycott going on. We had the Selma's massacre. So I didn't, obviously I didn't learn about this stuff till I got older, but like it clearly, I'm glad we didn't even, we didn't even know that stuff. Number one, I was young, but I don't think it was really happening in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And I really am appreciative of that. Not to have those pressures growing up, but listen, the South has a long way to go when it comes to race relations, a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And it is really unfortunate that, that, that we're so far behind the rest of the world. 
I mean, we're still arguing over Confederate statues and the Confederate flag in 2020, mm-hmm. which is silly and ridiculous. Crazy. Like I say, they, they were bombing churches the year I was born 57 years ago. And, you know, Ali had a uh, – Ali's one of my heroes, and he had a great saying. He says, if you're the same person at 50 – you were at 20, you wasted 30 years of your life. Mm, that's great. And for, for, and for us to be dealing with all this racial BS 57 years later, I really think we really missed, we really missed a, a great opportunity to make the world a better place. Do you think we have another opportunity right now? I mean, do you feel like there's a more of a, a shift of consciousness and this isn't just going to sort of go away right now? I think it's a great opportunity but we need to shut the hell up and do some actions. Yeah. Right now we got a lot of people yelling and screaming. Nothing gets accomplished with yelling and screaming. Uh, number one, I think, listen, uh, I'm going to always defend the cops uh, because I think if it wasn't for the cops, we'd be living in the wild, wild west. Now that does not mean I want them out there killing unarmed black men. Uh, that can't happen. Uh, it's a shame what happened to Mr. Floyd. That cannot happen. To see a man die like that was painful as a black man for me. But to hear these fools on television talking about let's get rid of the cops, let's define the cops and things like that, first of all, that's stupid and, and asinine. Because, number one, they, they, they're not going to do that in the good neighborhoods. They're only going to do that in the poor black neighborhoods and the poor white neighborhoods to define the cops. As who are they supposed to call? Ghostbusters? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, man. That's silly. We do need police reform. Uh, it's a tough job. Only certain people can handle that type of pressure. But we need police reform because we need the cops because, you know, it's a lot of people out here who ain't got pure hearts. Uh, but like I say, obviously, I don't want them out there killing unarmed black men or white men. And that's another part of the story. There's that's a bit more unarmed white people killed than black people. But uh, this just not, it's just a crazy time. We're talking about this and we should be talking about it, but it's just some guys out there who shouldn't be cops, but we need the cops. Uh, what do you think, this is a, a weird question, but what do you think the biggest problem with what's happening right now? Meaning not, not the, like sort of the systemic, the idea of systemic racism, but what do you think the problem is with this movement right now? Like what needs to be, what, what, how does it need to be streamlined? Well, I think the problem now is, I think that, speaking as a black person, we need allies. I think we're crossing over to alienating at this point. Mm. We need allies. But I think, because if you just keep taking, 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 everybody has a natural emotion like, hey, I'm not just going to let you take everything. So I think me... And and I and I, sh- I don't speak for all black people. I think we need to take a take a deep breath and say, "Hey, we need y'all to work with us." And I'm I'm concerned that uh, we're pushing so hard, we're gonna alienate instead of looking for allies. Which those are two words are totally different. Like on on a on like a whole another planet. That's different between having somebody as an ally or alienating them. So I wish we, me, me and the rest of the black people would take a step back and say, hey, guys, because Oliver and you, Buck, y'all had nothing to do with this shit that started 400 years ago. I mean, 
this is something that started 400 years ago and we're not going to fix it in two months. But we need to work together. And that's the one thing I try to tell the guys. Like, guys, y'all are mad at people who are for You're 43? I said, my yeah. man, all of us 43. He mm-hmm. have shit to do with all this shit that happened 400 years ago. But we need him as an ally instead of saying, yo, we're mad at you just because you're white. Like, yo, man, I, I got... I'm not in this shit. Well, yeah, you are. Like, no, we need allies. Mm -hmm. I don't want to alienate anybody. Anybody who wants to help, I'm all in. And then I said, and also, I challenge my black friends. Yo, man, what the fuck are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, because you got to clean up your own house first before you're going out here name calling, throwing rocks and things like that. Like, what are you doing to help your own community? I, yeah, we do have systematic racism, always have, always will. But you can't do, I, I know this as a black person, I can't do stupid shit, then say, uh, 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 it's systematic racism. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you don't No, you don't get to do that. Like, I, it's up to me to help my community. And then I'm saying, hey, I need some help from you guys. But first thing I got to do is help myself. Mm-hmm. Let me, is there anything as, as we wind down, is there, is there anything you've said ever? I mean, I know this, this, these are all, you got to navigate your way through this conversation. We all do, and we all have to be smart about it and try to help make things better. But is there anything that you've ever said, Charles, at TNT, not just about race relations or anything The TNT said, Hey, time out, back up. You know, you got to, you got to watch what you're talking about. Or do they just let you go? They they know when they enter into a contract with Charles Barkley, you're going to be yourself and, and people can take it or leave it. Well, I think now they realize there's this notion that I just say shit just for it. Anytime that I'm going to go on something and talk about something serious, I've already had the conversation in my head 10 times. Right. I know what the reaction is going to be. Sometimes I say stuff just to get the conversation started. Uh, so I'm always prepared. And TNT has figured out, yo, maybe, maybe this dude know what he's talking about. And have, have uh, uh, so listen, so I feel really good when I come on anything like, hey, I normally say this, I know that's going to be blowback, but I wanted to say it, uh, you know, because like right now, uh, this is, I, I was disappointed how the, the, the black players treated Drew Brees. Uh, I was very disappointed. They threw him out there to these fools on morning talk shows and the internet. Drew Brees is a great man. Drew Brees worked to get black prisoners in Louisiana the right to vote again. Nobody talked about that. Drew Brees had just written a check for $5 million to black families at food banks in New Orleans. So Drew's track record speaks for itself. And for them to overreact to what he said about the flag, I was disappointed. Uh, they could have picked up the phone and said, hey, Drew, we need to talk about your statements. 
But when you turn this stuff over to these fools on morning radio, the radio, excuse me, talk shows, and the internet, which is where every loser goes to live, because they and they, I tell people who mean on the internet, they live with their parents, <laughs> uh, they sit around in their pajamas all day, and they're not doing shit. They just want to comment on other people who are out here being successful or trying to do some things. That's one of the reasons I don't do social media. Because, listen, man, uh, not blowing smoke, you are one of the best to ever do what you did. One of the best who ever did it. Uh, thanks. For people to... <laughs> He's talking to me. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> for, uh, for, for, that was good, Oliver. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> for, pe for people to say mean things to you like you really give a rat's ass who win a sporting event that's just asinine stupid and silly you can say hey i don't like this guy whatever but if you're mean-spirited that's where i think you cross the line and i think that's why i don't do any social media whatsoever i don't want them people to have access to me uh and and i'm good with that yeah, I, you may be uh, you may be a role model. Is that bad news? It <laughs> can be bad news. Well, well, sorry to break it. To no, you, man, I know. But I, well, I mean, you're a role model. Oh, you I know mean, what? I got it, dude. The Nike commercial. Now you are a role model. There yes. you go. You flip it. That would be huge. With sensible shoes. Forget the high tops. Something that's nice to walk around in the house in. Forget the high tops. No, it's hey, Air Max, listen, Air Max any, ones. Any, any, any Nike shoes y'all need, y'all let me know. I'm still. Big oh, don't Nike. say that. No, don't, don't take that back. No, 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 Charles, you don't Oliver's understand. Oliver's gonna go I, ape shit, right? No, I, like no, I, I am, no. I am, uh, I am a fiend. That may be the dumbest thing you've ever said, Charles. I just watched. Right uh, I just watched. Uh, I just watched Tinker's documentary. That guy's what a soulful guy that oh, guy yeah. is. No, I'm. A, hey, I'm a, hey, I'm a full. Full. Really, I'm hey, a no, sneaker head. Full on, hey, out hey, of my mind. You know what's so? You know what's so funny? So me and Michael got drafted the same year, and and, and so we go up to Nike, and obviously, the rest is history. Uh, we're all piggybacking on Michael. And I remember just sitting there and like, yeah, this is cool. You guys are nice. You're going to give us some money to wear some sneakers. And then about three or four years in, I realized like, holy shit, this is going to be huge. Mm. This is going to be huge. And we owe Michael Jordan mm. a great deal of gratitude because people – Athletes were not doing commercials other than Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer started athletes doing commercials, I think. Uh, he deserves a lot of credit for that. But Michael getting all these guys' shoes and commercials, man, it's been it's been crazy. But I remember sitting up at Nike in 84, and we're like, we're just going to make a couple dollars selling sneakers. And <laughs> now this dude's got 2 or $3 billion just because of the right. shoes. God, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and, and there's a renaissance now, too, on shoes, on Jordans especially. You know, it's it's just been crazy. 
It's been. It cool. makes guys that are forty three. Just so you know, Charles, it makes guys like Oliver that are forty three and kind of like falling into the category now of dorky dad feel cool no, to wear his stupid that's not true. Nike shoes. That's not. First of all, they're not stupid. There's great stories behind all of them, I, and I, okay. I have right. been wearing Jordans since eighty seven. So. Uh, 88, 89, the threes and the fours. I mean, like, those were my favorites. I definitely am not just a 43-year-old asshole who's just getting into this game. <laughs> hey, you, you, you know, Michael is the first person, like, he made shoes look great. Mm-hmm. Like, he made shoes look – I mean, obviously, he's he, – not, not only is he a great basketball player, like, you would never wear sneakers – with good outfits until Michael started doing his thing. Like right. there's joys yeah. that you can wear with a suit totally. and you look great. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. And I want to thank him for that. Cause my God, there's nothing better. Oh my and, God. And you know what? So uh, uh, talking about Michael, I really enjoyed the last dance. Amazing. That was interesting to say the least. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, it brought back, it brought back well, some good memories and some bad memories, just for the record. Does anybody like Isaiah Thomas? I mean, is does anybody like him? I like Isaiah. Okay. I, I, do. Like I went Isaiah. to Indiana. He's all we got. He's it just seems like nobody still to this day likes Isaiah Thomas. You know, I think that they did. Mike, uh, how about Michael lying on the documentary and the guy breaking out the tape like a month <laughs> later? He got it on tape that Michael said, Oh, and if Isaiah's on the team, I'm not on the team. That's that was right. hilarious. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, Good but I, I really, it brought back some great memories, man. And man, my, that dude was fucking amazing. Jesus, it's on another level. I mean, I mean I there, have, there's you know, no question, right? There's no question. No, there? you know, you forget how bad he got beat up by the Pistons the first three years, and you're like, that dude went through that. Yeah, he is the greatest. Yeah. yeah. The shit he went through. I mean, anybody grew through what he went through those first three years before they finally beat the Pistons the fourth time. That is that was amazing to watch again. Were you were you did you go to Warner Brothers lot and play in that tent? Oh yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I was a PA on a movie back then. I was trying to get into the movie and you know, I was young. And I would go to the tent and watch all you guys play there. I used to go sit down, and Mike was so cool. He would, he would let, I just poked my head in one day, and he's like, come on in. I just get to hang out there and watch you guys ball. It was the, wow. shit, the shit was crazy. Michael calls me. He's like, yo, man, I need you. I'm like, what? What you need me for? I need you in Space Jam. <laughs> I'm like, yo, man, I'm not going to spend I got two weeks in L.A. not doing shit. He said, oh, no, no. They building me a dome. I'm like, what? <laughs> he said, oh, they're building me a dome. And, and uh, we get to fucking L.A. They got stands, a full-court basketball, yeah. and a fucking gym. Yeah, gym right there. I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, you are well, big time. There's your answer for coronavirus. I mean, start the NBA back up and have Michael just – have people build a dome and let everybody live in it. Have Michael build buildings, hand out shoes. Has NBA even, I mean, is, is there a time frame right now? Is there even anything in the works? Yeah, we're going July the 30th. So it's happening. It's happening. You have to buy, 
you had to let them know by yesterday if you were going to play. Only four players pulled out. Oh. So it's scary, though, Oliver, because Florida's on fire right now with this yeah. virus. Yeah. And we're going to take 22 NBA teams. They're going to take the WNBA. They're going to take the MLS. So it's scary. Uh, I, I just uh, – they say it's going to happen – I just if these things keep spiking in Florida, I'd be I'd be surprised if we play if they keep spiking. Well, I mean, we haven't even started sports, you know, and MLB is supposed to start. It's all supposed to start. And you're, now you're hearing cases just pop up everywhere. I mean, you've got these young twenty year old kids who are like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm immune to this," and they're out doing whatever they're doing. I mean, I I don't know. This this just seems like it could be it's a scary disaster. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it's, it, it's really scary. And I think what scares us the most is five or six of our best players get this shit, and it just ruins the playoffs. So, yeah, then man, you got it's, nothing. Scary, it's then scary you don't right have now. real competition. You yeah. know, if people are checked out. Even asymptomatic people can't be around the team for X number of days and you know, name the top players. If, if three of them are out, you know, how legitimate is – the playoffs. Are you going to be doing? Are you going to work from home? Are you going to work? Are you guys all sitting at a desk. What What's that looking like? We We haven't decided yet. We're either yeah. going to be in the studio and social distance to have fucking plexiglass up, or we're <laughs> going to do it from home. They haven't made a decision. We got We got a, a month before we have to make a final decision. Yeah, but it's scary, man. It's scary. <clears throat> well, well, this has been. One of the highlights of my uh, my year for sure, man. This Me has too. Been so fun talking to you. I, I just can't. I could I could talk for hours. We, I, I know I, you never disappoint, and you did this in a pinch. And and I texted you, you yesterday, yeah. and your response to me has always been, "Yeah, sure, whatever you need." And and that's just the guy you are. That's that's not when people are looking. I just know that's who you are. So thanks for being on this. And Charles. don't think hey. don't and don't think I'm not going to hit you up. For this whole Nike situation, I'm trying to I'm trying to hook up with Reggie Saunders. Man, you know, you Reggie. Up. God, you well, who is that? <laughs> he just runs marketing for the Jordan Brand. You know, oh, like okay. like I've got friends who are much in bigger place, like Adam Levine. Right, he's a big shoe freak. You know, yeah. You know, you've got Dr. Wu. You've got all these people. Who Have are Levine hooked up. up. Don't go to Charles Barkley. He's about to go back to work. <laughs> Levine's sitting around writing songs. Hey, I didn't ask. Head. Charles said, "If you all need Nikes, it's like okay, that's it. I, I, my, my, the door has been cracked open." Hey, I didn't think. <laughs> hey, I didn't think you were gonna take me up on it. I was just <laughs> exactly. Out too, there. too late. Dude. That's like inviting somebody to a wedding that you know <laughs> is not gonna come, and then they show up. That's too late. You just better hope Joe doesn't give me your cell phone number. That's all. <laughs> hey man, I enjoyed this man. Thank y'all yeah. for having me. You're the Thank best. Thank you, Chuck. You're the best. You are the best. Thanks, Charles. Be safe. All right, you too, brother. See ya. I wow. mean, come on. Come on. Now, come on. Come on, now. He's God. The best. He's legit the best. I love him so much, I can't even say it. That is a man that I aspire to be. He he just is unafraid. He's in, he's smart, he's articulate, and he doesn't give a fuck what you think about him. And to live life like that has ha- has to be so liberating. 
he is a role model. But he's he w- thought out. He's he not is? just of course he is. You know? He's not somebody just throwing anything against the wall. He has a method to what he's saying. There's a reason behind everything he says. And then you can like it, you can not like it, but he's not losing any sleep for mm-hmm. the people that don't like it. And he doesn't really care about the people that like it. You know, if if yeah. you say, Oh man, you know, here's what Barkley said, isn't this amazing? I he he cares as much about that as he cares about the people that say, you know, yeah. they don't like it. So yeah. I that you on TV in a live sporting arena, forget the incredible career and everything else he's done. He, I am envious of that, that he mm-hmm. has the ability to turn that noise off, be himself and just say what he means. And, mm-hmm. and that is really hard and becoming yeah. harder and harder to do. Yeah. So I, my hat's off to him for that. And no, that's, that's great. I that's love his legit. advice, too, to the young kids. It's like, you can't think you're going to sail through all this without controversy. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to have to learn to take the punches. You know, and that's yeah. that's what he did. And, uh, y- you know, he he has created that for himself, which is so great. I mean, he's created through his career a platform where he can say anything he wants. You yeah. know what I mean? He He's allowed to do that. Unfortunately, you're, now, you're not. Right. <laughs> he is now a role model. That's, that's the irony of it all. That's the irony of it all. And by the way, that would be a great Nike commercial. Chuck came back and did I am a role model. Because right. he is, man. I mean, for many, many different reasons now. You know, it's not about him being a basketball player. And I love that. I love this idea that he's not a role model because there's so many other things to be in life. Don't just look at me and think that this is, this is the only way to get out. You know what I but mean? But he's, he's, he's seen both sides both are the far ends of the spectrum. Yeah, but now he's a role model because he's able to sort of say what he feels and and, yeah. it's, it, and to be unafraid of your opinion. You know, that that's important today. So essentially he is a, a, a different kind of role model today than he ever probably imagined, you know, and, and he well, probably doesn't I even told, realize. He doesn't realize, I guarantee you. But when I told my mom yet again, you know, I'm talking, Oliver and I are talking to Charles Barkley today. She's like, oh, I love him. I mean, he <laughs> he just there are no real boundaries with him in what he says. Mm-hmm. And I think for those who enjoy him and learn from him and listen to him and, you know, I, mm-hmm. I there's a he's talking to a lot of different types of people. Yeah. Wow, man. That was so, that was really, that was awesome. really cool. Well, that was my favorite one, I will say. And, uh, yeah, no, who knows? Maybe there's maybe I'll get a Nike deal out of this. You never know. Mm, I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. He sort of okay. backpedal at the end. There. Yeah, like, I know. Oh, wait He's a minute. Like, wait, I was right. fucking kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Well, uh, I got to go see a man about a thirty foot trailer. So. Yeah. Please don't injure yourself. Uh, I won't. <laughs>